The Perth Football Podcast is proudly brought to you by Macron Store Perth, an industry leader in quality teamwear specialising in grassroots, semi-pro and professional team attire. Visit the Macron Sports Hub Perth Facebook page for more. Thank you to Macron for helping us keep the pod running and for their continuous involvement in community sport. Buckle up listeners, the storms are coming. Football's finally coming home and the northern suburbs rejoice as the women do something the men haven't yet been able to do. That, of course, is Perth Red Star winning the league. There's deja vu with Coburn and Armadale playing each other once again and a goalkeeper costing his team the lead in the Bayswater Floriat fixture. We have Friday's Eco speak on Gwellup and that tackle from your Australia. And finally, we're joined by Joe at Heathrow as she reflects on the women's European final. It's the Perth Football Podcast. Welcome to the Perth Football Podcast, everybody. Uh, you're joined with me, Kalichio Sunua. Um, I am the host for today. We're joined next to me is Tommy Dolman. Tommy, how are you, mate? You well? Good, thanks, Kalichi. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, mate, thank you for being a part of it. And uh, next to you, we've got referee extraordinaire. He managed to, to sew two shorts together in the weekend for the game that he was refereeing. How'd you manage to do that, Alex? Oh, there was two double XL shorts, spare side. So put one leg in each and away we went. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting wearing uh, big shorts and they were still tight. Lovely. It's a perfect, perfect imaging there. Ladies and gentlemen, football has come home. That's right. The northern suburbs celebrated vividly and wildly as Perth Red Star won the league. But joining us from Heathrow Airport, not necessarily with a hangover, but surely having had a great night is Joe, our football extraordinaire. Joe, how are you? <laughs> I'm um, well, thank you, gentlemen. Let's just get into it. What was what was it like? Tell us about the game. Tell us about the atmosphere. I I, I can't imagine being at the biggest, most um, most capacity football match ever, and and it for it to be a final in England while you were there. What was that like? Oh, look, incredible, absolutely incredible. And um, it's a five o'clock kickoff um, over here, so we went out there nice and early as you do. Found ourselves a pub, and it was. Um, it was a good vibe. No one, uh, the English being the English, no one really wanted to speak openly in the pre-game. I think we spoke about everything except the possibility that England might win. Uh, so it's definitely still a bit of a nervous vibe around, but um, certainly once they played the anthem, teams got into it, uh, once Ella Toon scored the first goal, um, the place absolutely lit up. Um, once we got into the German schools equalised, once we got into extra time, the vibe changed uh, somewhat, but uh, it came good again in the end, thankfully, for the whole country. Being over there at the moment, Joe, can you sort of give us a bit of an insight into how the tournament has sort of gradually captured the imaginations of people in the country as it's sort of worn on? I think it definitely has built momentum. Um, I was just uh, wasting some time in a news agent uh, here at the airport waiting for my flight and pretty much every single newspaper has, not just the back page, but the front page uh, is devoted to Linus's uh, victory. Whether that would have been the same um, had they not got to the final, had they not won the final, uh, I don't know. Um, but the fact of the matter is that he played fantastic football uh, throughout, so I guess we will never have the answer to that question. Um, and I think the tournament as well, it, it did it did gather momentum. I was quite uh, interested to see so the second semi-final uh, 
was the, uh, the Swedish girls and the French. And I thought, well, a lot of people would have bought tickets to this game as a contingency. Thinking, oh, well, this might be the England semi-final. You didn't know which, which side of the draw they were going to end up. Uh, are they still going to bother to travel to Milton Keynes on the day of the national rail strike um, to, um, to watch, sorry, Gem- um, Germany and France? And just uh, and they did they got twenty nine thousand people there. And just with the with the final itself, I mean, going into extra time as you said with Germany, what was the the environment like in the in the stands? Oh, tense, so so <laughs> tense. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, I, th- I think people here almost sort of expect it. Um, when when the German equaliser, look, that was a great goal, uh, and the, the Germans were good for the go- for the goal. Uh, they deserved uh, absolutely at, at least one, uh, and yeah, <laughs> you sort of felt the uh, the air get sucked out of a ninety thousand seat stadium uh, in in a moment. It was uh, it was quite something, um, but uh, the relief the relief I think when Chloe Kelly poked in that winner. Um, was was really something because I think people just thought uh, the inevitable in, in, the, in the form of penalties, the inevitable was coming. And a lot of the talk um, sort of going into the game was about uh, Serena Wiegmann and her willingness not to really change the team. I think a lot of people had been calling for Alessia Russo to start instead of Ellen White and um, for maybe a couple of changes, perhaps um, Alex Greenwood to maybe play at left back instead of Rachel Daly. But um, Serena sort of stuck true to her, tried and tested, and it really worked in the end, didn't it? Yeah, look, she she caught similar criticisms when she coached the Dutch and she seems to have her, her 11. Um and once you're in her 11, it's just really hard to fall out of it. And conversely, if you're not in that 11, it's really hard to break into it. But um, we're talking about the coach now who won the last two consecutive Euros for two different teams. So wow. hard to argue with the method. Um, the subs were predictable, but at the same time, the subs have been effective. Uh, and when you're talking about uh, particularly Russo and Toon, um, you're talking about two players who are young and especially in the case of Toon, lightning quick. Um, there is an argument for bringing on that sort of player after an hour when the opposition is starting to tire, uh, and it was effective. So yeah, hard to hard to argue. And and obviously, and upper Rachel Daly was fantastic. <laughs> so, sorry, Joe. Yeah, I think I think the delay just got us there a little bit in in sort of transition. But um, in terms of these tournaments as well, obviously you need a little bit of luck as as things sort of pan out throughout the tournament. I thought obviously. In the Spain game in particular, in the quarterfinal, um, Spain played pretty well in that game and obviously England needed to get a late equaliser before going into um, into extra time and then going on to win the game. But also, um, before the game, Alex Pop um, was withdrawn from the team with an injury. Um, I think she was named in the starting lineups, and then, um, much to the surprise of a lot of people, she didn't take her place on the pitch. So can you sort of tell us a little bit about the noise that was sort of going on when obviously she didn't emerge from the tunnel? Oh, yeah, we were looking for her. Um, she's a reason we told her, um, which is quite easy to spot. Uh, and, of course, she was probably the main concern, um, having scored two great goals uh, in the semi to take them through. Um, and so we're all sort of scratching our head. Hang on, hang on. Can I see number 11? Can I see number 11? No, she's not there. She's not there. Um, and then slowly words sort of started to filter through what had happened. And um, I thought two things 
first of all, I was absolutely gutted for Alec Pop. Um, I, guess I don't know how much you know about her injury history, but I think it's the last, the previous two Euros, if not the previous three Euros, she's missed each of them because of injury. She missed the whole tournament. Um, so it was quite a story, uh, the fact that she made this one, captain the team. Um, so I was personally, I was quite devastated uh, for her that that had happened. And then the second thing I thought, well, if England can't win now, you know, you do know those little bits of good fortune. And, uh, and that was it. I thought if, if England can't win now, having had that little stroke of, of, uh, of luck, um, then yeah, maybe they're never going to win. Maybe they don't deserve it. You, um, you mentioned that all the newspapers are, are leading with the lionesses in the front page and the back page and uh, the, the irony of the football being brought home by the women when the last time football was around, women weren't allowed to play the sport. Um, what's that? What's the vibe now looking like and, and feeling like? Because we, we, we can see, well, from here, we're hearing that there's a lot of push towards making sure that there is access for women. Um, Uncle Uncle Wright, Uncle Wrighty was talking about making sure that there's no excuses to, to ensure that women don't, to, no excuses um, to prevent women from playing in the sport and playing in PE and, and having access to it. So again, you're, you're not an economist and can't tell us like the infrastructure and how everything's going to pan out, but just the general vibe about, about getting women into sport, because it feels like one of those things where it's a, it's an absolute showcase and proof of if you build it, they will come and not only in the attendance, but also in the result as well. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and it's funny, it's a similar question that we're, um, we're going to have to grapple with next year in terms of the World Cup that we're going to host. And I'd love for the to have the same sort of result. But uh, I think I very much hope that we will see a similar uptick in interest in a women's game in Australia. Um, and the tournament itself, the Lionesses aside, the tournament itself is a raging success. The ticket sales are fantastic. Uh, a lot of new people here have been exposed now to the women's game uh, for the first time or meaningfully exposed to it for the first time. Um, and so the question is, all right, the tournament's over. We've had a fantastic tournament, fantastic lot. What's the next step and, what, and what's the legacy? Um, and I was really lucky, actually, I, purely by chance. Um, I walked into uh, Adidas store in the middle of London and there's a bit of kerfuffle going on at the back. I thought, oh, what's happening here? Um, and having a panel event panel discussion and uh the star of the panel uh was kelly smith who of course been um english women's football legend um and they did a bit of q a at the end it was all silence. no one had any questions for kelly smith and i jumped in and i asked that very question i said what are you hoping for once all said and done what's the legacy uh, that you're hoping that this tournament leaves and that was her answer she said we need to get convert the support that we've seen over the last month into more girls getting involved playing football and more people, whether they be boys, girls, um, anybody, anyone at all, um, figuring out, all right, who's my local WSL team, mm. uh, getting down to the grounds, supporting them, watching on TV. Um, she said as well, she just hoped that uh, it does lead to further raising the profile uh, of these players who are already at the top because as we know there's still huge uh, disparity in terms of pay and um, I think you will see almost immediately I think you'll see all of those girls in that squad uh, are going to rake in a fair bit of money in endorsements um, but yeah I think at the end of the day it's a it's a grassroots uh, target and um, 
I've heard what Rati had to say and similar things were said at the final event. You know, there's no excuses anymore. We need to make sure that the facilities are there. Um, we need to make sure one of the other panellists had a really interesting point about um, some of the scouting that goes on over here. Um, and it tends to focus on some of the, especially around London, some of the wealthier uh, parts and saying, well, no, actually, we need, we need to get out. And, you know, we need to make sure we've got diversity and we're looking at all of the talent, uh, mm. even the talent that comes from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and from more diverse backgrounds. Uh, and I think those conversations uh, will become more and more prominent. So, um, look, everyone's, everyone's making the right noises. The proof would be in the pudding. Um, but, yeah, certainly a great platform to build on. And, and I think it is important as well that we do sort of look back and we do acknowledge that the, the sort of women who, who were a part of the, the, the national teams before as well. Obviously, Jill Scott came on in the game, um, an absolute legend for England. Of course, she came on for Georgia Stanway. But there's a lot of players who sort of, I don't necessarily want to use the word trailblaze, but a lot of, a lot of women who sort of um, played for the national team who maybe didn't get to play in the WSL era players like like sort of Rachel Brown Finnis and and Leon Sanderson who were who have done a lot of media stuff throughout the tournament um, also the likes of Steph Horton as well who um, obviously wasn't picked prior to the tournament um, and that was a bit of a talking point Leah, Leah Williamson obviously came in as captain and um, and yeah I think I think it's also important as well that, that we acknowledge that the players of the past as well who have, who's obviously set the example for the younger players to come in and believe and, and obviously go on to and help England, England win this silverware Yeah, look, I think they have done a, a pretty good job at that. Um, I've been so impressed. Uh, the matches that are, <laughs> there's a handful of matches I didn't get to in person, so I'd tune in to the BBC coverage. Uh, and the makeup of the panels uh, and the number of ex lionesses that they were able to get involved, not just in a token manner, but I mean, you know, leading the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Scott, I believe I didn't get to the celebration event at Trafalgar Square today because I had to come to the airport, which is an absolute shame. But uh, Alex Scott, I gather, was the MC there, and she's a fantastic example of, of one who's probably just sort of on that on that uh, the tail end uh, as we move into this new era. Who wouldn't have profited commercially, certainly in the, in the way that these girls are going to be now, but uh, speaks very well uh, and has already managed to carve out of career for herself in the media. Uh, Farrah Wounds is another one. I think she's got the most caps for England. Um, she only hung up the boots quite recently. She'd probably be sitting there thinking, oh, geez, I was you know, 10 years too early. Um, but again, she was all over the TV um, and not just in a tokenistic way. Um, so I do hope uh, that the success the Lionesses have had here, it, it brings everybody along for the ride. Well, look, Joe, speaking of rides, hopefully you get home nice and safe. Thank you so much for your time. We can hear the, the, the lady in the tannoy loud and clear. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to the World Cup happening here in Australia, and hopefully, like you said, it's the exact kind of result that we have here as well. Yeah, thank you, gents. And if there's one takeaway for people back home, regardless of whether or not they got to catch any of the action, we appreciate the time difference. was um, pretty ugly, but um, we should be really, really excited about the opportunity we've got ahead of us next year. We sure are, and hopefully we've got some accreditation for it next year as well. But, Joe, thank you so much. You take care, and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Pleasure, gents. Thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate her doing that. That's, that's absolutely awesome, like the, the idea that we actually get to have someone who's in the grounds, in the stadiums, um, 
and coming to talk to us about it. That's that's something you can only get here at the Perth Football Podcast. But we mentioned it earlier, football did come home to the northern suburbs. They finally won the league, Perth Red Star, and they did it before the, the fellas as well. Yeah, Red Star's first league title uh, since the forming or since the merger happened between Northern Redbacks and ECU Joondalup. So a proud moment for them. It was the inevitable title, I suppose. It was one which we've been anticipating for probably the last couple of months, if we're being honest. And the, the main question has really been about whether they've been able to go through the season unbeaten or with a 100% record or whether they're able to take all the trophies past them uh, before them. Um, we we obviously eulogised a little bit about them after the the state cup final last week. They uh, then played against Perth and had a, a goalless draw during mm. the week. Um, and not for the first time this season, Perth have given them a good game. But we'll we'll come on to them shortly. Um, but it was all about Red Star at the weekend. They they defeated Fremantle City by four goals to nil, and they just swatted a second place Fremantle City aside, who have got some very good players in their team, but. Um, it was really the epitome of of what they've built over the journey, even through their time previously before at Redbacks as well. Larissa Walsh and Renee Liotta, two of the 200 club, getting goals in the first half to really set them on their way. And then from a narrative perspective, one of their rising stars, Olivia Wood, got a second half double to sort of give you that indication that the future's bright as well. So there was something that was quite nice in a fairy tale sense about that in terms of a storyline with the... The old guard perhaps setting the, the example and the and the young brigade coming forward at the end. And um, yeah, nothing to add other than just a spectacular season and all eyes on whether they can go through this season unbeaten now. Yeah, you, you mentioned that they obviously had that draw against Perth to stop being, as Sean would say, peckable, um, impeccable. They're now peckable. That's right. They're now peckable. I'm sure Sean will correct us. Um, but yeah, we were, we were both at that game, that nil-nil draw. And it was a cracking contest, an absolute cracker of a game. It was one of the most exciting nil-nil draws out there. And you can see that they put a little bit of work in their attacking performance and play because to come out there and to get those four goals against um, Fremantle, that's, that's, that's no mean feat, especially when the last time that they played at Perth, I think it was a 3-1 win, but, but for much of, that, much of that game, it was really, really tight until Perth, until Flor- really, really tight until Fremantle ended up having that red card as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a Perth perspective... I think we've spoken about this on the podcast before. They've clearly shown that they are the closest thing to beating Red Star, not just in the cup final uh, where they pulled to 1-1 and and in particular in their first half performances, both in the cup final and in the league meeting back in round 12, which they lost 1-0 where they should have scored in the first half. Um, They've shown that they are up to the mark and they are up to competing with, with Red Star now. Um, during the week, that goalless draw, we shouldn't be so surprised because they're the two best defences in the league um, for a starting point. Um, but in terms of Perth's prospects going forward and perhaps getting something out of the season, I'm um, talking about the top four cup, perhaps, uh, should they get there, which we think they will. Um, obviously, getting Caitlin Douglas back into the team, into the starting lineup this weekend against Curtin was a massive boost for them. And just some of their, their fringe players as well. Um, they obviously won by 10 goals to two against Curtin, a pretty eye-catching score. Um, yeah, Pete was talking about how they had struggles scoring goals. They didn't that game, and and that's and that's going to be massive for their confidence going forward. I think Ella Lincoln got a hat trick. Liana Cook got two, couple for Duncanson. Uh, obviously, a uh, couple for Caitlin Douglas. Um, Abby Meekins got one as well. So um, <laughs> she's out of control. They, they just How good they, is he? It's just good. For, it's just, rattling, ladies and gentlemen, he's rattling this off the top of his head. No notes. He's just that good. At, at understanding exactly what's gone on the weekend. 
But it's but it's just the confidence they'll take from those goals. I think going into the final few weeks of the season, they've still got a bit of work to do to confirm their place in the four. But we all think that they probably will get there. Um, and yeah, I think based on what we've seen, there is still a little bit to play for for the rest of the season, at least in that sense, building up to that tournament. I think we spoke about it last week in terms of the top four with Subiaco now, obviously 4-1 win, I think, on the weekend. 3-1, yeah. 3-1 win on the weekend. I mean, is it... Is, Back-to-back wins against Belgrado. Yeah, yeah, correct. Is it too late? Has the has the horse bolted? Um, because I think if they do make that top four, if they can make that top four, um, that they may surprise a few teams as well. But, I mean, again, we talk about Perth Red Stars and... I have to hear it on a daily basis from the general manager, Simon Hicks, telling me how good they really are. And I think what they're looking at as well, and, and I mean, they've also got an opportunity to win it in the men's as well, but they, they, their goal now is to win everything and, and to win it convincingly too. Yeah, and um, I'm sure that that's, that's the path that they're, they're wanting to walk. It's going to be really interesting. You speak about Subiaco before, Alex. They're actually playing at Red Star this week. So... That's that's the second of the double header that they're hosting up in the northern suburbs. So that'll be a um, an interesting game actually, given that Subiaco have obviously got Lisa Devana, um, Ella Mastrantonio, and Mariana Tabane playing for them. That should be a really interesting game to go and watch, um, or at least to catch on MPL.TV. Um, but Subiaco are a real wild card now, aren't they? And I think we've seen through the top four race throughout the season that there's not really going to be a team that's going to go and win five straight games to end the season. It's just not going to happen that way because it's been such an even battle, Red Star and, and probably Curtin aside. So all of those teams are going to take eight points off each other as the season wears on. Um, to answer your initial question, I think they're nine points off with... Four games remaining, but they do have a game in hand, so five left for them. Maybe they've left their run a little bit too late, but nevertheless, it's going to be very interesting going forward. I'm so looking forward to seeing how this pans out, especially these last few games as well. It's it's such a cool league watching, and with these players coming back, it, it's, it's, it feels a little bit bitter, bittersweet, right? On, on one hand, they've come back and we get to watch them. On the other hand... What's the season look like if Douglas is playing for the sorry Douglas is playing for the entire entire season? If those three players are playing for Subiaco the entire season, what's that league look like? What's the de- development look like in terms of hampering? Sorry, in terms of helping the younger players come through. We've just finished speaking to Joe, who's talking to us about what happens when there's an infrastructure in place where there's players who are there, when there's development opportunities there. And again, it's great that a lot of WA girls have been able to go out east and play and improve their skill set. But it does, it does feel like we've kind of missed something there. But, but the way I look at it as well, if, if, if I was to take the other point of view, is that a lot of young players, and we've, we saw it in the other game we've not touched on yet, Mum FC on Friday night winning by two goals nil against Hyundai NTC. Mum FC have won four in their last five now. They're suddenly back in the top four. And they've done that with a lot of players under the age of 18, if, if not un, even younger, under the age of possibly 16 or 17. So... These girls are getting opportunities to play football and first-team minutes in a, in a competitive league where um, ob- obviously there's a couple of teams at the top of the bottom. There's teams at the top and at the bottom who are, who are a little bit sort of uh, off, off the scale in terms of their, their varied sort of... Sorry, I just hit the mic there. That's probably the sound you heard. I but, hope that that was the mic made and not something else. But, um, but aside from that, it, it's been really competitive and, and there's a lot of opportunities that have been given to some of the younger players in this league to, to get first team minutes and to improve. And hopefully 
this means that in the next two or three years' time that the league will be in a really healthy place here and it doesn't happen the other way, whereas the players get to 18 and they feel as if they've got to move to go. Hopefully the fact that the 16, 17-year-olds are getting minutes in their legs now and that's going to push the WA competition on to be further forward in two or three years' time. At least that's my hope anyway. No, I, I think I think to be fair to you, you're absolutely spot on there. I think we've got to look at this in terms of this is – I would look at this as, as as this podcast, for example. It's the first year having this podcast. It's taken money out of pockets. It's not been developed as well as it could be. But in five years' time, when we've got hopefully not as good a guest as Friday's Eco, but hopefully bigger infrastructure, an, an air-conditioned room where you can't hear the hear the fan, um, and we've got backing and support, it's going to sound hopefully a, lot, a whole lot different. And that's the exact same thing about this league. This what's well, the second year of the of the MPL. So what happens after ten years of the MPL and and more infrastructure, more coaching, more more I was going to say better referees, um, better goalkeeping coaches and things like that. So I think that's that's the big positive that we can take. I suppose I'm just being selfish and greedy because it's not happening right now. I think you need, to, and I think you're right. I think you need to lay the foundation, and and unfortunately, unfortunately, you've got to start somewhere. And I think that's what's happening now is we're laying the foundation, starting from somewhere, learning from mistakes, and players do it as well as administrators and referees and so forth. So you've got to you've got to build with mistakes. Unfortunately, it happens. Nothing's built perfect straight away um, and from that and I think oh, we speak need for to yourself man I'm sure Tommy Dolman he's, came, came out the womb just as he is right now with a microphone he's out of control but um, again it, and I think learning from other states in terms of how they do it too and and, and not just at an administration level but also at a club level what, it's not going to hurt a Perth Red Stars Red Star or a or a Balcatta to speak to a, a South Melbourne or a Sydney Olympic and say how do you guys develop how are your setups how are your structures set I think that's important. Uh, just to finish off the results from the weekend, we were saying, as we were talking about earlier, Mum FC had a 2 1 over the Hyundai NTC. Perth FC had a 10 goals to 2 win over Curtin University. Red Star, of course, had the 4 0 win, and, um, and the Subiaco score was 3 1. Anything else uh, with the last couple of bits that we've got for part one? And just on, um, and just looking forward as well. You mentioned how it's going to be really fascinating going into the end of the season. We've got Fremantle versus Perth on Friday, which is basically the winner of that game is probably going to guarantee their finals spot. The loser of that might just drop into that pack with the chasing teams behind them. Um, Balcatta are playing NTC. That's a massive game now between fifth and sixth in terms of that race for who's going to make the four. And and as we've sort of mentioned previously as well, um, Perth Red Star are playing Subiaco. So maybe some of those inclusions at Subiaco might be able to pose the, um, the leaders some problems and, with with players of the caliber that we've spoken about before, I'm sure that if they do, if they are fit and they are able to play, that they are going to want to maybe um, spoil the party, get, spoil the party, get out there and really prove a point that they've still got something in there. We did see the Red Star popping some champagne on the weekend, so maybe they pop champagne right the way through. Maybe. All right. If go. If, I, if I'm asking you now, Kalichi, will Red Star go the season undefeated in the women's competition? Will, are you saying yes or no? I am saying that I'm going to put the what do you call it when now you put the jinx on someone the mockers the mockers sorry I'm I'm not from here uh, I'm going to put the mockers on them and say that they do go undefeated so there's no chance that it happens now um, and with that and with the giggles and snaring that'll be the end of part one. I'm trying to get started, and all of a sudden he interrupts us. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice that you heard is the one and only Friday Zico. Friday, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, man. How are you? I'm superb, man. Welcome to part two. We've got next to me still Tommy Dolman. Tommy, you well? 
Yo, yo. And we've got the greatest man. Well, not the greatest man. Josh isn't here. But the greatest refereeing man, Alex Vavatsis. Alex, how are you, mate? I'm good. I can't believe you called Josh great. It's, it's not good. It's a, it's, it's a joke. It's, it's one of those ones that we've been doing. But talking of jokes, we've got Friday's Eco here. Not because you're a joke, mate, but just because every week they're giving me crap about that tackle. So we wanted to get the man here himself to talk about all things Gwellup, talk about himself, his career, South Sudanese International, and hopefully once and for all, quash this tackle nonsense. Done. No more beef. It's all done, and I never want to hear from it again. Tommy. Kalichi's been wanting to get you in the studio for weeks, Friday, because he's he's up to his ears. He's had enough of Sean and Josh goading him about the incident, but we'll come on to that shortly. We should probably talk on current matters first, eh, Kalichi? Yes. Uh, going back to the weekend, it was a tough result for your boys. You were up 1-0, 1-1, 2-1. And then ended up losing 3-1. Talk to us about the game against um, Sterling. Uh, I thought, personally, I thought we started off really well. Uh, but it's just one of those games that, you know, it's been kind of like our season the whole year. And um, it just shows that, you know, with a lot of like young players in the squad, it's a bit challenging experience for some of the boys as well. And it's just like we find ourselves in a position where we don't want to be and, and we just fighting week in, week out, trying to get the result, and it's not just not happening for us. And some of the like some of the opportunities that's falling toward us, and like it's just it's just a mess at the moment for us in general. Like you know, in terms of everything, um, like decisions hasn't been going our way, and like just luck in general hasn't been in, on our side like since day one. So yeah. When you when you do get into relegation scraps or, or situations like that, it does kind of feel like everything is going against you. But in terms of what's been said at training, in terms of what's been said by the players, you've got quite a few experienced boys in there. Not 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 not, not in particular Cyril Sharrick, but you know, talking about the team. So what's what's been said to keep you guys motivated? Because of course you are now bottom of the league. However, there's some key games that you're going to have with teams who are around that area as well. Yeah, look, I think morale for us. Uh, as a team has been down a little bit um you know Mitch is still there and he's trying to motivate the boys and to just pick it up and you know we've been doing everything right at training preparing for games we have all these tactical uh team team talk and analysis of all the components and every game it's just man it's just on a day it's about turning up and you know like each individual's fighting battles because you know at the end of the day you can't afford to carry individuals and you know it's it's just not easy if you know, one or two players are like have to be carried in the team. It has to be collectively all 18 men that's on, you know, on a team sheet on a match day. And it's just, it comes down to players putting in, working hard and just trying to, you know, fight for one another. And I think maybe we kind of like that a little bit as well. You know, when, you know, when you're going down 1-0, 2-0, it's just like when, when your team is not experienced enough, like things like that start happening and, you know, boys start putting their head down and, and it's just not enough voices in there maybe to kind of like lift players and you know if like encourage and push people on it's, it's just yeah one of those one of those things you know we've got to try find motivation within ourselves most of the time but yeah it's it's hard man it's it's hard how difficult is the balance to strike at the moment Friday? because you you've, you took the lead at the weekend you took the lead against Florida in, in your game before that you were th- you only lost 3-2 to Bayswater through a late goal so you have shown that you have been capable of mixing it and matching it with some of the the, the better teams and and being in with a shot of winning those games but 
you have conceded goals either in clusters or you have sort of lacked that little bit of concentration time. So do you take heart from the fact that you are mixing it with the best at times throughout periods of games or is it more frustration that you aren't quite able to consolidate that? Look, I think like the squad we have, we should be winning games. I'm not even think I'm not even saying this because it's it's a team I play for. I think the boys that we have in there, they're really good players. All of them. It doesn't matter whether like what age they are, they're all really talented players. It just comes down to sometimes a little lack of experience and seeing games out and, you know, having to keep a lead, you know, throughout first half maybe and then just coming back and trying to maybe maintain that, you know, level of performance as well. Like um most of the games we played this year is um we took in the lead like, you know, f- 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then we just let ourselves down with a little bit of mistakes and just inexperience of seeing the games out or maybe just writing out games. It's it's one of those that, you know... It, it is a very young side as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's one of the youngest in, in the league. We're just struggling. We're not struggling to score goals. We're struggling to keep a lead. And that's one of the problems that we've been having and, and also throwing away, like, really easily unnecessary goal. We worked very hard to score and then we just give it away so easily. And that's something that, you know, we kind of, like, have to like drop out of a game in the next four games that we have left. And, you know, we now find ourselves in a really difficult positions to get out from. I'm sure, you know, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to be working hard to try to get, get, you know, get a result on the weekend. But it's it's simple as, as you know, it's saying it's simple, but, you know, when you're out there, it's totally different, you know, when the game starts. Let's uh, go into a lighter load right now because we're in a booth. Uh, just to peel the curtain back a bit, we're in a booth here, and we've had to turn off the air conditioning so that we could, um, so that we could have, uh, yeah, so that we could have the, the the sound come through. Fridays are this huge man's not a hot jacket, man's not a hot, <laughs> not a hot jacket. But as you can't see this, but I can. He is sweating, and it isn't just because I smashed him that time. <laughs> it's the Armadale. Um But look, with 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 the team coming, how how are you feeling? Because it's been a it's been a tough season for yourself. Um, injury wise, you you had an opportunity to play overseas, um, and kind of screw that up with your with your passport situation there Friday. So, um, are you are you getting back to full fitness, mate? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know about that passport situation. <laughs> 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 oh, this guy's funny. No, um, yeah, this year it's been a bit a little bit frustrating because um, you know, this year I was hoping to kind of like play every game and just get fit and, you know, be ready whenever I call up on, you know, for the national team. But it's been really, really hard because um, I recover from one and then just go into another and it's just been a really bit frustrating. But um, I've recently just started playing, you know, a run of games now where, you know, I feel like I'm getting to a stage where it's getting a bit better now, trying to manage injuries at the same time as well. It's it's kind of been very frustrating for me because last year, you know, I thought, you know, I played, I think, 20 20 games out of 21 or, or or so and like you know thinking of this year I might have played more than just what I was hoping and you know improve on performance and hopefully you know that the call comes but it's a bit hard and this the challenges that comes with a lot of you know just being overseas and uh, Africa is a whole different ball game and it's just yeah it's a bit hard and like this, this uh, the environment now you know we, we also live in is a bit hard as well so challenges everywhere man. Friday, I love when I was refereeing. It was it was a joy to watch you, you watch you play, and I love history and I love talking about internationals. Tell us how it all began at your international level. How did how did it all come about? Uh, I think it was back in twenty eleven. I was um I was like um like I was playing. I think it was like Stockport or something in England, and like um like the South Sudan, they, they heard that, oh, there's a guy in, South, in in England playing for Stockport. And like, they don't, obviously they don't know who Stockport is. <laughs> These guys are like National League somewhere down the bottom. So, and um, 
it's just the, the like the sound of playing in England. It's, it sounds appealing, you know, and like oh, you know, let's invite him over and. And yeah, it, it just happened very quickly, and I found myself in a camp with like 50 players from around the world. And then, I luckily I I made the cut for like the 30 man squad, and then reduced to 25. And I yeah, I, I, like I I thought I'd just give it a shot and see how it goes. And I've never I've never been to South Sudan before that prior to that, so it was the first time everything and like trouble for football is always like fun, you know, like just knowing that you know you're on a mission, you're not just going there on a holiday and stuff like that. So. It was kind of the experience that you know I, I really really enjoyed as well. You know, ever since then it's just been yeah it's been great. I, I played a couple of games and of course again like I said like the weather changes it, like you know you're not always you know you're not guaranteed for two weeks that you're in, in a training camp that you you might get injured you might you know pull, pull a hammy or, and you might not play. And I've I've been there quite a lot of time that I I was fit to play and I didn't play or I got injured just the day before the game or like, like the week before the game and. And I wasn't I wasn't able to play. So and, it, and you think about the travel. Sometimes it takes two days to get where you need to be, and then like two weeks training camp, and and then next minute maybe just four days before games, and you pull a hamstring at training, and that can all change everything. So yeah, it's just one of those experiences that I've been yeah the, the lows and the highs. Yeah. yeah. What did it mean to you when you did get that call up? When you when you sort of sit there and when you sit back now and you think about it, can you remember when you first got the news and what those emotions were? At first, I thought it was a joke. I'm not even gonna lie, and I and I like I spoke to my mama, but I was like, "Dude, you're not going there." And I was like, "Man, the thing is, like, um, I've always defied my mom in like in like anything matter to do with football. So it wasn't even it wasn't even like something uh, like I thought about. I was like, "Yep, I'm going." I I didn't know what to expect. You know what the environment's gonna be like because remember, like, we left South Sudan because because of the civil war. So between that period, you know, my mom obviously she's been through it, and and um, she's kind of like traumatized about a lot of things that happened then. So for me to go by myself, it was like, nah, I'm not letting you go. And don't get me wrong, the first time I got the call, um, like a few days into it, my mom told me not to go, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, I have to go. And then I didn't go, and there was a there's a war happened right then. And then I was like, oh, that it didn't discourage me because I know, like, at the end of the day, that's my country, you know. Like, if they call me for football and there's conflicts happening as well, it's just one of those risks that you take. Me, I, I didn't even think about it. I just did it. Like, I know I was, you know, I was born there, but I never grew up there. It's just one of those risks that you take, you know, training in a war zone. Like, it didn't even, I didn't even matter to me. I didn't even think about it. Like, I just went. So... That's an incredible privilege that people have here that they don't even have to think about whether you're you're going into a football game and have to even consider your, your safety. I mean, we've been to hostile environments, uh, all I thought was when I played against Gosnells, but hearing he, 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 that there was a, a potential war going on, Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't, and, and the, thing, the funny thing is like, um, when I went there for the second camp, um, some of the players that initially were invited from the US and, and like um, UK and stuff like that, they happened to get caught in the middle of it as well like um during the camp there was a there was a massive breakout like civil unrest and like you know a, a proper war actually proper war was happening and they were caught up in the middle of it and unfortunately i think one of one of the players obviously um who's based in in the country uh got injured as well but yeah they um they they basically became um uh refugees again because uh, they got stuck and they couldn't leave and stuff like that. It was a massive thing happening, and then, and then the following year they went back as well, and that's when they told me about it. And I was like, I was, I remember I was reading about it because I was really updated, and I, it was something that I was 
bound to go through it before. So I was reading quite a lot. And then when it happened, it was a massive news. And like, oh, imagine if I went there, you know, like, I don't know what would have happened to me. But then the following year, I ended up going anyway. So, yeah. What was it like to actually play? Oh, you don't understand, man. You don't understand. My first my first game, it was um, it was still initial, like, training camp mode. And um, they selected 26, 27 players. Um, to go away to Rwanda on, on a on a uh, like a training camp for the game, against Mali. But um, we ended up playing two friendly matches against Kenya. And my first opponent was Victor Wanyama from Tottenham at the time. And like, bro, you don't understand. Like I was starstruck because um because like um the centre midfielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's oh man, he's absolute gun. Because he at the time he was playing for Tottenham as well. So. Um, yeah, it was a bit crazy because I was like, man, what what did I get myself into? Like, you know, like like a couple of days ago, I was looking at watching these guys in EPL and then now I'm, I'm sharing the same hotel room with them, like next door and we're playing against them the next day. And I, I ended up playing like 17 minutes or something. I can't forget those minutes because um, it was one of the most important minutes for me. And then I think I, I've done like pretty okay enough to get selected in the like 23-man squad for the African Cup of Nation against Mali, which was a very, very big game. I remember, like, when I got selected in the in the squad, like, um, I was like, ah, you know what? I think I'm just going to be there to make up numbers and and just be part of the 23 man squad. I'm not sure if I'm even going to play, but it's good to be in the squad, you know, just to be involved in everything like that. So, like, when I went when we went over to Mali, my initial thought was like, yeah, you know, I'm just a squad player, so it's not it's not really going to be a big deal. We're just going to sit in the bench, maybe, maybe not play, you know, and then, boom, the, the coach announced the squad. And I was in the starting eleven. That was at lunchtime. My goodness, you don't understand, man, how I was feeling. I think I got sick like about ten times, just nervous and scared about the game. But yeah, it was amazing when I played in end. Who tackles harder, Kalichi or Victor? <sighs> Kalichi. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> we have to address that, don't we? The elephant in the room. Can you can you tell us? Let, let let's go back to that that famous evening that's gone viral over the uh, over the uh, Sunday League Club drew two two with an MPL club. You've set the scene. What was the score? It was two two. You guys were an extra time. Uh, uh, Ninety minute two two. I, I, the first question I have was, what was your first thoughts? You obviously you've got the ball and you feel the contact. What is your immediate thought in that moment? <laughs> See, the thing is, like, I saw this guy coming. I couldn't avoid it. It happened very, very fast. See, this guy, his touch is the problem. His touch, <laughs> his touch got him to where he was. I I literally flicked the ball over him, and he's going through me. And he's left the ball in front of him, and his foot is flying up in the air. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And then, like, I'm looking at the referees, like, Linesman is right there next to him, but he's only given a yellow card. I'm like, no way, this guy's still on the pitch. And he continued to tackle many more tackle after that. I'm like, nah, this guy is still, after 90 minutes, still on the pitch. No way, man. What, what about the assist? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This guy had a, had a very good game that day. I'm not going to lie. I think, I think um, he's, he was coming up against one of, the, one of the fastest players in NPO in Chad Nelson. So he's had a really good game for 90 minutes of constant running up and down, up and down. And I think he puffed out in the end after he, 120 he says, he says I had a very good game, but Chad Nelson scored four that game. But Chad ended up scoring four. But for the 90 minutes that you were, don't forget, don't forget we made quite a lot of changes as well. Whereas you guys did, but it didn't impact the same way our subs can, did. Can I just say something about the changes? So the combined age of their four changes was 83, right? So that's four players, all, all 20 or 20-something. 20 
our three changes, the combined age was 120. <laughs> for our three changes, we brought on two 40-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's what I'm saying. So he's, he's played really well for 90 minutes. Until those changes, he came on. Like after that, the legs, I think, ran a little bit low, you know, on oxygen. Fuel. That's all he does is run, mate. He can't he, play. He just start kicking people, man. He just doesn't stop kicking people. I was watching the game yesterday in, in Jaguar versus North Perth. He's still kicking people, man. Like, I, I, I don't understand how this man can be still on the pitch most games. He's never... Have you ever got a red card? Nearly. In WA, no. Man. Oh, in a in a league in a league game in WA or a cup game in WA, no. I'm not, not going to lie. Yes. He's he's solid defender. I'm not going to lie. Solid defender. We we see it in all levels of football, wherever it is around the world. A challenge comes in. You've obviously been on the wrong end of it. Did it ever spring to your mind at all that you wanted to get a little one back on him? Maybe, maybe just leave a leg in. <laughs> Maybe just slide in a little late and just uh, show him who's boss on the pitch. Now, the problem here is I was playing centre-back and this guy is playing, he's playing full-back. Nah, he but was... somehow he's found himself kicking me. I don't understand. Like, But um, nah, I, I didn't really think that much because um, we're too busy like trying to get at least a goal or something. So like me challenging, tackling this guy, which is, didn't come across my mind yet. But I was pretty upset that I didn't get like... You also got subbed off at halftime because you were hurt. <laughs> it injured me, but... <laughs> Hey, I'm trying to mediate here. I'm trying to call a truce between you two, but uh, the, bar, the barbs are coming in. All right, let's let's this guy injured me before I could even like sixty minutes. I I was just hobbling around. I'm like, nah, this let's, is not it. Let's get into the questions here, mate. We could be before we keep before we get we run out of time. So, first question: Hunger Games, Twilight, or Harry Potter? Harry Potter. Wow. Yeah, Harry Potter from one to eight or seven. From one to eight or seven, great. That that shows how committed you are. Yeah, very um, committed. Who is your toughest competitor that you've played in the MPL? Man, that one. That one is a, uh, at the moment so far. I think um, Nelson Tsonga. I think from he was at ECU now playing for Balkana. I think he's been pretty solid that I played against so far. But um, in recent, I think in recent history, uh, I think Andy O'Reilly, Andy Riley. From Bayswater, when he was playing at Bayswater, this guy always gave me a hard time, man. He's always kicking me and stuff. <laughs> Every game we played him, he's always kicking me. And just one final question on on Gwalup before we sort of touch on some of the other MPL results. Gwalup are obviously bottom of the league now after Balcatter's win at the weekend. Can you sort of try and just explain and give us an insight into the mentality now? Obviously, you've gone from being in a position where you've kind of been looking over your shoulder, you have been safe. Um, but you've sort of been wary that Balcatta might win at any time and, and might overtake you. That's happened now. So how does that mentality shift? Is it a real thing now where you are bottom and it's just, we've just got to go gung-ho at this. We can't worry about it. And maybe it might give you that bit more freedom to get out of trouble. Uh, look, I think even even before the Balcatta won the game, like we initially wanted to make sure that we're not in a position where they were they were even like a point ahead of us or or level point with us in the first place. So I think for us, in the, like our mentality doesn't change. You know, the boys are always pumped to trying to win games and stuff like that. No one wants to be in the end of losing. No one wants to play in the relegation battles. But unfortunately, that's where we find ourselves. But look, the only thing we can do is obviously you know put in the hard work over this weekend and you know try to get get at least get as much win as we can between now and you know season end. But um, the only thing we can do is right now. I know all the boys are really frustrated after the weekend game. I can see it in them. Most of them just sat there in the change room and they look very, very disappointed. Um, it's just, right now, it's just, we just bounce back and try to win games, man. 
that's the only thing we can do. But obviously, like, like I said, you know, now you know the squad is a little bit much more in, in a stronger position. Um, we just need to start scoring goals, man. We can't we can't keep playing well and not win games. It just doesn't make sense. So. Going through the rest of the league and giving a quick roundup, there were wins for Sorrento away at Inglewood with a nice 2-0 win. Balcata, as we mentioned, had a 3-0 win against Perth Glory. Armadale got one back against Coburn with a strong 3-0 win as well. Um, quietly, Perth Red Star just snuck in a 4-0 win after all the games were finished. But the game of the round, of course, and this was the game that we were all at, was the uh, Florida Athena Bayswater City game. Nova, it's uh, clubs that are both close to your heart for reasons that we will say in terms of one you did some good things with and one you you didn't quite do some good things with what, what did you think of the game with the game itself I think it it was a hard battled game and it it, it was in nine yellow of, cards Jeez. yeah and a red and a red um yeah in terms of the match itself it wasn't as high skilled as it could have been in terms of the match and again it came down to the pitch conditions and so forth um two penalties um in each half which Yep. Um, you don't it, want to talk about the penalties? As a player or as a referee? Well, both, because obviously the second penalty is a penalty that we just saw the week before. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's a similar scenario where, you know, could it could have been prevented prior, yeah, possibly, in, in terms of what had happened. So that, you know, the keeper's come out, he's put an elbow out. It, it slightly clips Christopher Sildaris. Um, and again, you know, he makes the most of it and um, the keeper sent off for violent conduct penalty. And the other one, again, it's, it's one of those ones where it's interpretation of the laws of the game where, where, you know, for me personally, the defender's gone to clear it. It's, it's gone, almost gone out for a throw in and with his follow through he's I, I believe that the, the attack has come in late um, and, and, you know, the referee in itself has, has given a penalty. Um, and again, it, it changed the game. It went, and in Bayswater were, Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, were leading three times. Um, yeah. During the match, so so it made it made a difference in terms of the two teams. You know, both have got my heart, and um, you know, Florida, we won everything in '97, and then lo and behold, when I was at Bayswater, we got relegated. So um, you know, I've done a bit of bit of everything with both sides. Um, so yeah, and, and again, it was it was a good game to watch, and um, yeah, I, I mean, did it deserve a drop? Yeah, I think I think the fair result in the end. Yeah, I agree with with Nova. I think the draw was the fair result in the end, but I think Bayswater will be kicking themselves a little bit, having gone into the lead three times in the game, and conceding equal. Uh, sorry, conceding levelers relatively soon after they'd scored as well. Obviously, they did take the lead through Dumba. Um, they obviously conceded the penalty for the equaliser pretty soon after, and then to concede the equaliser when Rob Petkoff hooked in from that long throw right on the very stroke of half time. That that that. I wouldn't say it sinks you because obviously Bayswater continued on and they got the lead again, but it's just a little bit of a deflating mood that you go into the rooms with. If you go in 2-1 up, the game might be a little bit different. It changes the dynamics of the, the team talks a little bit, I'm sure, as you go in as a player and a coach. So, look, I think Bayswater will rue that opportunity as a bit of a slip-up. They've obviously not quite been able to pull in the ground that they could have on Florida, who were leading the league. And obviously, given the fact that Sterling and Red Star both got the wins as well, um, that means that their chances have been enhanced and Bayswater probably still need a couple of drop points elsewhere. Um, but Bayswater do play Sterling this week, so they do have a chance to get right back into it. And that was that was a tough thing that I would be thinking of if I was a Bayswater City player is Costa Sparta's just caught an absolute cracker of a goal to take the lead. And there's, what, 15 minutes to go. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we can talk about whether it could have been prevented or not, but essentially a player has struck another player. Yeah, and, and, and you've just seen it happen literally on the Sunday before where it happened and, and, and a goalkeeper in the same situation 
with the ball in hand, yeah. um, put their hand up and, and hit another footballer as well. And uh, it, it's just it's kind of it's just kind of absolutely gutting if, if you're if you're a player in that situation again. And and you've, you've it's a terrific goalkeeper. You're now missing him yeah. against against. Um, Sterling, Sterling, yeah, you're potentially now, two matches as well because yeah. it's violent conduct. Um, yeah, and it hurts the team. And uh, I mean, it's the running, it's the it's the running that you want because you've got a, you've you've got these games in your hands. Going, if we win four games here, there's a chance we win the league. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and agreed. And I will put my hand out because one, of, well, two of my favourite players at the moment, and and my favourite in Dumba. Um, he's he's coming into some form as well. He's he's playing well, working hard, looks fit, and Costa I t- Costa with with that hair. I tell you what, he's flowing. Those locks are just flowing, and and he's playing so well. And and he's an incredible player to watch. But in, in saying that, so is Dumba's hair as well. That's magnificent too. But um, in in terms of the game itself and the teams, um, they're they're tough to play against. And um, I, I will say, um, and I think Red Star are a chance as well. Come towards the end of the year, and looking at the fixtures, I think they've probably got the better run of all of them, um, of all the teams at the moment. So I think yeah, they they could could do something. They've you know you know Sterling got some tough games as a Floriot as well. So. Yeah, we have to touch on that Red Star win. That was a bit of a statement performance, as you said before, Kalichi. All the teams had played. Uh, Red Star then went to Dorian Gardens at 5pm and and turned over Perth by four goals to nil. And um, it wasn't really the guys that you'd see the, do the damage who got on the score sheet. It wasn't Daryl Nickel. It wasn't Chuck Door. It wasn't those guys. It was Ellis Healing with a pair and Kai Murray and uh, Andy Higgins with one as well. So a comprehensive win for them. And against um, the league's best defense as well, up up until that point. Yeah. Correct. Was, was correct. that Ellis Healing that looked like Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> magnificent. Look. The masked man. Oh, magnificent. And and to say we did speak to uh, 20s player last week in Sam Cook, who, funnily enough, started um, for, for Perth Soccer Club. So, um, yeah, did well in terms of, of what he could do. But um, Red Star are looking good and looking strong at the moment. And, you know, when you're winning 4-0 and, and Daryl Nickel, who currently is probably well, he's leading the goal-scoring charts with about 65,000 goals at the moment, um, you know, it's it's dangerous to see. And, and you know, for Ellis to start scoring as well, um, you know, they, they could be. And they've got Balcata this week. Um, so, yeah, interesting interesting finish to the season. And um, what I will do, I'll touch on, on Friday with Gwellup as well in terms of themselves, you know, that some of those games they don't deserve to lose because they've been playing some some really good football. Um, down there and you know you got the experience of Friday and and Cyril at the back there and you know hopefully they get the wins that they they deserve and um, see what happens with the last four you guess the the game that uh, Gwellop have got next the Fridays that go derby Armadale Armadale Armadale. Armadale. they've got I think they've got Balcatta as well round 21 that's 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 going to be a a big game isn't it the the, the two bottom teams it's a real six points obviously it was a a goalless draw um, last weekend, the catch-up game from from round six, and then um, you've got the big the big game that's in the sort of second last week of the season. It's it's. Can you tell us a bit about the season? Obviously, who who's sort of impressed you in the league this season? Perhaps at the points end Friday, and obviously just broadly speaking, there's there's no easy games this year. It's such an even and exciting league. Be at the top, the top four, and and even at the bottom as well. Although I'm sure you'd like to be a little bit safer in your position than you are now. Yeah, I think. I think Perth Red Star they've they've looked pretty good the whole year. I think you know they, if not one of the best footballing side anyway, um, they're up there amongst you know one of the best style playing anyway in terms of style. You know they move the ball pretty well. They've got pretty, some pretty good players in there that can play. 
Um, I think Sterling, you know, they've they've came from Division One and they've recruited pretty well and they've, they're doing really well for themselves as well. Whereas, um, you know, I, I could see, you know, Amado, they were doing pretty well, you know, and then they, they gave through away a few games, but um, they looked pretty solid this year as well and getting result, you know, expected as, as normal. They, you know, they've always been pretty competitive in terms of you know, where they are in the table. Um, but um, I think, you know, Florida as always, you know, very dominant. They've all, they're always up there, top three. You know, so I think it's it hasn't been easy in terms of opponent. They've all been playing really well and just there's no easy game. And, like, you know, it, it's, some of the footballing, you know, like the top four, they they play really well. Obviously, that's the reason why they're up there. You know, it's going goals. It's all about scoring, scoring goals right now, man. If you can score goals, you win games. That's it. Just going to go a, a quick roundup of the league table. Florida Athena with 37 points, a goal difference of 15. Uh, Perth Red Star one point behind them with 36 points with a goal difference of 25. So that might come in handy, that, that 10 goal buffer. And Sterling Lions, like you mentioned, and I think we keep forgetting this, they came up from Division 1 last year and they're now in third place, one point behind. Their goal difference is five. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. We've got five, 15, and 25. Um, and in Bayswater City, my tip to win the league, fourth um, with 33 points, four points behind top. Um, and just looking towards the bottom of the league, obviously there's just two clubs there, Balcata on seven points, Guelap Croatia on six points. What a league, guys. Like, this is exactly what you want with four games left. Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch as well on Inglewood-Sorrento because that was probably the other relevant game in terms of the top four picture. Obviously, Sorrento got a massive win in terms of their chances. Now, those two still have to play each other in the... And I believe that game's been fixtured between round 21 and 22, so the midweek before the final round of the season. So, Sorrento have got the glory on Friday night, I believe, um, and Inglewood are at home to Floriot. So, they've got a tough... Um, so Ingold have got a tough game, but obviously Sorrento's last three after Glory, um, I think they've got Floriot and and Sterling in amongst all of that, and Red Star too. So Floriot, uh, Floriot, Red Star, and then I think yeah, you're right, Sterling at their last game of the season. So so I suppose you look at it from a Sorrento point of view, and you sort of say, well, if you win those games, then you deserve to be playing in the top four because you've shown that you're able to match it with those sides, and if you can't, then you probably are just that rung below. Um, I think the defeat was probably worse for Inglewood, though, because I think they were unbeaten in six going into that one, and that, that loss kind of just gives them that little bit of a... Um, that kind of just puts them that little bit off the pace, and it's a little bit of a setback, particularly playing against the leaders, who I'm sure will want to hit back after the draw last week. Before we wrap up, um, we saw you yesterday down watching Jaguars play. Can you give us a couple seconds or a couple moments to just talk about that Sunday League club and, and what it means to you and, 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 and their, their opportunity of hopefully getting promoted? Oh, yeah, I think... Jaguar for me, it's been one of those clubs that I've I've always been involved with from day one. Uh, my brothers, they've played there. I've played there a few times as well, maybe, you know. So I've always been in there, you know, just in the, like, if I'm not playing for them, I'm always behind, you know, behind the background and just doing doing things for them and stuff like that. Um, Look, they're, they're really, really, you know, nice club. You know, it's, it's very African-orientated club. And a, a lot of the players who, you know, might not um, get fair opportunity to play in the state legal or MPO, they'll go there and just have fun and, you know, trying to get the club up. I think it's, um, the, the goal this year is obviously to try to get up to state league and, um, you know, that at the moment they're doing, they bring, they're doing really well and hopefully, hopefully, you know, they get a promotion and, you know, you see some of the boys down there. Um, yeah, they, they've been trying to get me to come back there for a while now and I think sooner or later I'm going to have to, you know, put on the boots for the, the jugs. 
But yeah, no, it's it's a really really nice club in terms of you know how how they are running and you know the the players we can see that the players' attitude has changed massively obviously to achieve this goal of trying to get up and you know the less yellow card and red cards you try to get through the games and the more opportunity you have to win games and you know I think now it's well drilled by Joe Sam and Andrew you know they those those two guys that are coaching the team now they they kind of like they're doing a really good job you know, getting Miribuka up on the map. So hopefully we'll see a state league team in Miribuka area. It's just like, yeah. So, sounds like a guess that we're going to need to get on the podcast, I think, if Jaguar keep going on their on their way, Kalichi. The pitch, I think, covers most of Miribuka as well. <laughs> Biggest pitch in WA history. I, that I kid you not, that pitch is 99% uh, fortress. I, I don't think... Hard to play there. And referees don't want to go there either because the pitch is too big. Yeah, for it's really big. I'm not oh. going to lie. And it suits and it suits the style of the way they want to play. Like, you know, you can't put Jaguar on a pitch like North Perth. They're not going to uh, win games there. there. It's very, very hard. It's but if it's, you, it's tough for us at, at our ground as well because we, we, we like yeah. to play that expansive football that, Jag, that Jaguars play. But guys, that is the end of part two. Friday, thank you so much. Any more for any more? Nah, that's okay. Just stop tackling people. <laughs> <laughs> our beef is not going to end. All right, we'll be, we'll be back with, um, I don't know what part will happen next, but we'll be back. Speak to you in a bit. Really quickly, before we get into our final guest, we just want to say a few words that the Perth Football Podcast is proudly brought to you by the Macron Store Perth, an industry leader in quality teamwear specializing in grassroots, semi-pro and professional team attire. Uh, our Sunday League team finally picked up our hero jerseys and we presented them to two players one from the reserves one from the first team uh, one had a hilarious story that we've been laughing about all week if you know you know and the other one had a stellar game in our unfortunate cup defeat but again it was something that we could all do as a club and we got those jerseys from the good people at the macron store perth so remember check out their facebook and social media pages for more information thank you to macron for helping keep the pod running and for their continuous involvement in community sport And welcome back to another part. We've got a special edition here. We're talking some State League. We've been blessed to have David Tuff, coach of Olympic Kingsway, on the line. David, sorry, mate. Tuffy, let's, let's, let's make sure that we're nice and casual here. Tuffy, how are you doing? You well? Going really well, guys. Going really well. Thanks for inviting me on. Nah, mate, look, that's an absolute pleasure for us. We've got Tommy Dolman next to us. G'day, Tuffy. How are you? Good, mate. Good. And, of course, we've got the legend himself, Alex Avatsis. Alex, you well? Yeah, good, mate. Tuffy, how are you? Alex Alosa. Yeah, good. So, Tuffy, there was a huge game that happened um, in the weekend. I think it was first versus second. It was Olympic Kingsway versus Western Knights. Tell us, mate, what, what a cracker of a game that was. Yeah, it was a huge game. A huge game. It was uh, well-supported. Really good advert, uh, advert for the State League, to be fair. Two real traditional clubs going at it. Um, and thankfully, we were able to come out with a 2-0 win. In terms of the game and how it, how it panned out, Tuffy, and you would have known that you would have would have been a, a tough opposition coming up against the Knights who have kind of been a, a little bit behind you but putting a little bit of pressure on you so you've known that you've had to perform every week. Can you tell us about the challenge you're expecting and, and, and how the game sort of panned out? Obviously, the two early goals in the first half helped you manage it from there. Yeah, like um, West Knights are a very good side. A lot of experience, a lot of guys that played NPL, a lot of guys good enough for the NPL. Um, and they beat us uh, the first game. You know, they beat us 2-0. We were in a game, I actually thought that we played really well. But they, they got an early goal. They defended really well and then caught us in the break late, like the 80th minute. So I was very conscious that 
that of that game and the, the, we we had to score first really I thought um, to kind of counteract that kind of um, tactic they have and kind of sit back and hit us in the break and thankfully we got a goal we kind of went four minutes and then we actually got another penalty in the 35th that Darren missed but then we scored an absolute well day in the 42nd so we were two and a half at half time and the second half we kind of um, game managed we kind of game managed the second half and just yeah ground it out yeah so really really happy we defended really well. And we dominated the ball in the first half, but the second half was a bit scrappy, but happy with the three points. Outside of the game itself, Tuffy, the the club have been so consistent this season in State League Division 1. It really has been a phenomenal season. And and obviously Knights and, and Fremantle City in particular have played their part in that in terms of keeping the pace with you. But what has been the secret to Kingsway's consistency so far this season? You've obviously had um, some additions arrive in the off-season, but the performances have just been outstanding from from go to woe, really. Yeah, I agree. I think, to be fair, over the season, I think we've only had, in my opinion, we played bad against Mandra away. Uh, we got beat 3-2, but we had a lot of, we had a depleted squad. We lost Shane Cassidy to COVID on the night of the game, or before the game. We, we lost a player in seven seconds. We were uh, players on the bench recovering from COVID. And then um, Mandra played, played a, a cracking game and beat us, but we, it was probably our poorest performance of the season. And we had a 10-minute spell against Forest Field. We were pretty poor. But for the majority of the season, the lads have been absolutely outstanding. And um, playing our... Uh, we, have got, we play a certain style. You know, we do pass the ball. We do move the ball. Lots of rotations. And it takes a bit of time for the boys to bed in, but it's like second nature to them now. The amount of times we've worked on our training. So... Um, I think with that brings the consistency because of the result. I mean, everyone's bought into the, the way we play. Um, and we're just, yeah, delighted the way it's happening, mate. Really, but a long way to go. Five games, just, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns still to happen. And, and, and just with your side itself, uh, Tuffy, you've had a lot of uh, turnover in, in players and, and you've brought in some real experience and, and, and even some younger players as well. I mean, just top of hand, you've got Perich, uh, you've got Cassidy, as you just mentioned, you, you've got Tommy Amphlett, um as well, Kieran, up front. Yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of that, uh, you know, has it been good to have a clean, an opportunity to have a clean slate at the start of the year, where you've brought in players and, and obviously some, you know, have departed? Uh, what, you know, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was huge. It was huge. Uh, massive off season. A lot of work was uh, done to get these players to join. Um, we knew that we were in the the, 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 the targets to win the title, and the team we had the last season was not not to the level we needed. Um, so it gave me a bit of a clean slate to go out and actually approach players that I knew that work in the system and the way we play. Um, so we, again, we were very lucky to to, 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 to attract like Shane Cassidy, the Kean Hurrells, Tommy, mm. uh, Callum O'Connell, uh, Dave Perich, and also Kieran Byrne, top also in the league the year before. So it makes a massive difference. We have these kind of players at the club, and the fact is they're good guys as well. They're good, good, good individuals. And they bought into the way we want to play. It's very, very important. I mean, you need everybody to be on the same page. And these guys are. Um, so it's been a real, real joy to coach them this year. And we were in a good We got ourselves in a good spot, but we just have to get over the line now. Tommy, I've got a two-part. Sorry, Tuffy, I've got a two-part question for you, mate. Like you, you mentioned that there's been a huge amount of turnover that's happened there, um, and you yeah. you went and bought players who you wanted to to have, who had that experience, who yeah. who you kind of knew would fit your system. So first question is, 
doesn't that bring a little bit of pressure into the into the squad and into the team because everyone's coming in here for a specific goal of, of winning the league, but also only having these players with this huge turnover after for, for a season, how hard is it to get everyone to gel and to gel so quickly? Because it, it, I mean, watching your team play, like you said, there is a distinct style. So how how hard is it to yeah. get that team to gel so quickly when it's when it's huge turnover as well as as well as the pressure that's coming through? Yeah, well, yeah, very true, very true. Uh, uh, there is a there is a there is pressure at the club, um, but, but we that's what we want. Yeah, and the pressure is a privilege, really. I mean, um, and the players kind of bought into that. Luckily, I've, I've coached a lot of the players at, at my time at ECU or Red Star, the club. Um, even Callum O'Connell, I had, I was coached him when he was a young sixteen-year-old. Um, but Tommy Amflett, um, Keen Harrell, and Shane Cassidy, and so I kind of knew what we were signing. So those players kind of already brought in your ideas as well, then. Yeah, well, no, so my ideas have changed a lot over the time I've coached. I mean, certainly Kenny's had, Kenny Lowe's had a massive influence over the last three or four years, I suppose. Um, kind of opened my eyes to a few different ideas. But really, uh, we we started in late November. And it's taken, we we work on it every session. Well, every every session or every second session, we're working on the way we, we play. So players are well versed, and it's taken a long time. Like you've seen glimpses of it in the night series, and then we kind of choked in the the, the night series final, that's, and then we got knocked out in the that's harsh. So we had, we had two bad weeks, and then we kind of uh, we just had to reinforce what we were doing, and just yeah, just kind of kicked on. We scored a we scored a late goal against Mandra, and then bang, it just all started clicking clicking together. Everyone kind of understood where they should be. You mean just yeah, wherever the ball is, everyone kind of knows where they should be. Um, and it was like second nature to these lads. I mean, I don't, we, we do certain drills and I don't know if they say anything now. They just, they know where to be. And it's just, it's, it's really is, it's just simple rules and simple principles that, that, that them just embed in the players and, and it works. It just really works. And and, and um, just and just on your team, Tuffy as well, and, and not just the players itself. I mean, you, you look at the backroom staff. I mean, you, I hate saying it as a referee, but it's always a joy to, to listen to you shout in my ear. But, the, you know, you've got yeah. some greats in, you know, yourself and, and someone that I, I was lucky enough to play with and, and also watch as a, as a youngster um, who I call Willie McDaddy. I mean, to have yeah. him sitting, yeah. you know, sitting, he, he actually looks fit enough to play, to be fair. And, and I think oh, he's... He, the, guy's, the guy's the goal. He, he's, right he's a, he's a machine. A, yeah, he's an absolute guy, machine. Again, I was lucky to work with him at ECU. And then we, we, we kind of... Actually, he was a first team coach, actually, when I came across in 2006. With him and... Um, when I first joined up there with Jerry, Jerry, uh, Jerry McEwen. And I've been friends with him since then, and he's an absolute joy. So he's, he, um, I do it for, well, Ross Edwards is an assistant as well. But Willie, I'm happy, Willie does quote, like the session sometimes, and his sessions are absolutely excellent. The boys love it. I mean, he's really demanding, he's got high standards, and he's he's loved up at Kingsway because obviously his previous times as a goalkeeper there. So, yeah, just I'm so lucky to have guys like that helping me out. I mean, as well, he's, he's kind of a, that experienced head. You know, I've coached a long time myself, but he's got that real experience. It's just like, he just say one, doesn't say much sometimes, but when he does say something, it really just works. You know what I'm still scared of him. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got the scary eyes, isn't he? <laughs> just, just, just a couple of quick ones to finish, Tuffy. Obviously, um, Kingsway, given the players that you've brought in, are a, a very ambitious club. Obviously, still Steve Nelkowski's been a big part of that, the growth of the club, the facility that they've built over the past few years. Can you can you tell us a little bit about why that part of that sort of project, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, was the reason that you were so attracted to Kingsway and obviously oh, a little bit about yeah. their ambitions going forward as well? 
yeah, told me like, oh, sorry, and well, when I when I got offered the job, I mean, um, it was a big, big. I've been at EC for over twelve years. So it was a big thing for me to leave there. But when I actually spoke to them and seen the people behind the scenes and the passion for the club, it's honestly it's, it's second to none. Um, the 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 club is one of the traditional clubs of WA, and they've really got they, they're acting ever behind the scenes. They have a, a full board of people who are really pushing the, the the club, not just the football side of it, the the actual business side of it. Um, so they have things like the Saturday morning they've got their markets there. Um, every Saturday morning in the, in the in the club grounds, eight o'clock to twelve, which is booming, and that's how every Saturday and Wednesday night. Then they have darts teams, they have bingo, they have they they hire out the facilities because the facilities are really excellent now. So they're really off the pitch. They're they're, they're they've also built a stand. We're getting new five hundred lux lights put in in August. They're considering three G around the side. So the club is really really pushing. Um, they want to get back to the obviously top division and not just compete in the, like the top division they want to really go for it um, so we're not just going to make the numbers up if we're lucky to get there so there's a lot of really really driven people behind the scenes and it's really exciting when, when honestly after the first session I, we kind of just laughed when we seen the facilities and how much people were hyping behind the scenes like uh, it's just yeah really professional uh, landing my feet let's put it that way and I feel indebted. I mean, I really work hard for them because I really want to make these people happy and get them up to the top division. Just have my my name and a bit of history in the club because um, I think of was it since two thousand and nine? Well, sorry, nineteen ninety nine since the last time we've been there. So it's a bit of a mission for me now to get them up. And just finally, obviously, uh, Kingsway are top of the league at the moment. We've spoken about the Knights and Fremantle earlier and some of the signings that, that Alex was speaking about before. You seem like a team that are MP already, but we don't often get to sort of speak to the Division One coaches. So we're just sort of wanting to get a bit of an insight from yourself as a coach. Obviously, you've got that history with ECU and, and with sort of, I suppose, Red Star as well. But um, in terms of the standard and the quality of the league this season, how ha- you sort of you've come across a lot of these teams this season. Can you tell us about about the depth of the, the league in general, and and how many of these teams you think could really compete in in the MPL? I know you're a, 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 a I know you're a person who is across a lot of the football here in WA Tuffy, yeah. and you don't just necessarily stick to uh, your own league in that yeah, sense. One way I described it to the players when they came down, I said I think I think the teams are just as fit. They just they run around as much. They could try as hard. They actually put the it's a bit more direct. A lot of the teams. So you have to be physically ready. I found out when I first dropped down, I found it quite, quite oh, Jesus, this is crazy. Like, uh, we particularly with, like, Glenn Grosstate's quick Quinn's team. It was, like, long throws every two seconds. And, and uh, you do look United, the real physical side mm. in your face. Compared to the NPL, it's very tactical. Um, but there is teams, like, the size of clubs. And this is the interesting thing, I find. The NPL is kind of, gets a bit diluted, gets a bit stale, I think. You've got clubs like Kingsway, Clubs, clubs like West Knight, uh, Dianella, Mandra, huge follow. Like last night, our game there, we had all fit 500, 600. There must have been 200 Knights fans there. When we played Dianella, the place was packed in Dianella. We go down to Dianella, the crowds are massive. So there's, there's clubs there with real tradition and heritage, heritage that just need to get in the top division and really would actually spice up a bit. Um, the Mandra, go down to Mandra, massive following down there. I mean, there's, there's clubs that are big enough to, to, to get in the NPL. It's just like, is there enough good players to spread across 
16 teams. So I'm not sure there is, but like size of clubs, oh, very surprising. There's some really good games. Um, like we go dying early next week. It's going to be a fantastic uh, crowd, probably. Um, very, very loud. Yeah, it's, <laughs> gonna, it's, I'll probably get a lot of stick. And it's a big game, and, and <laughs> it's a big game against Dinella. Three points would be good there, and, and hopefully, for Olympic's sake, a, a draw between uh, Western Knights and yeah, Fremantle. That's, 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 that's what we're looking for. But the thing is, it's, it's in our hands. As I say, we, if we win the next three, we win it. I think the, if we can just keep playing our stuff and not, not get too caught caught up with it all and relax. Well, I think we'll be fine. But the game in three weeks, uh, three mantle at home could be could be the league decider. Well, hopefully, could be, could be. Yeah, so exciting and exciting. Hopefully, things stay poised for that. David, thank you so. Sorry, I, I, I did that again. Tuffy, thank you so so very much for no, your for your time, mate. And it's it's always good to talk about the leagues as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you should. There's a lot of good guys, a lot of good, interesting people, a lot of interesting clubs in the state league. To be fair, um, as I say, those clubs are just. I mean, there's, there's clubs there that that are really add add to the NPL with just 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 sheer support. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but look, keep, keep up the good work, guys. It's great that um, you get as much coverage, I suppose, in in, in WA. Mate, we're, 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 trying, we're trying our best on a limited budget as well. Thanks so yeah. much for coming on, <laughs> Tuffy. It's much appreciated. It really, must be really short. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, Tuffy. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Tuffy. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Bye, man. That's it. And that's it for the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Tommy, anything else to add? Any more for any more? Nah, nothing off the top of my head. Just wondering how Sean's going in his hat hunt. We were supposed to have him on, but obviously it's been a jam-packed show so we'll, we'll he must be out. shopping he must be shopping for some hats so we'll let him off looking for soft brimmed hats you surely go for like a straw hat or something like that no not straw a little dry a little dry mm. Nova any more for any more no just congratulations to Perth Res again um, on, a, on a great season and um, hopefully it continues um, for the, for them and, and all the best as well for, for uh, weekend matches Oh, and I forgot to mention as well, Hannah Lowry, Miranda Templeman, big congratulations being named uh, today for the Australia squad. That's superb. And a shout out to North Perth. who got a draw on the weekend to spice up the uh, amateur leagues now with Jaguars having a draw. So hopefully uh, Jaguars and Maddington get a game against each other and it's still tight in that league as well. Yeah, they're not happy about that draw, I will say. Having spoken to them on Sunday night, they weren't too impressed with the draw, but um, nor the pitch at North Perth. However, um, it is what it is. No one's happy going there and... I can having refereed at North Perth. No one's happy to referee or, or run on that pitch either. I, f- I forgot to mention we, we, we've we've not, we've not touched on this either. We were at Butler's Reserve yesterday for the uh, belt up amateur round, and we have the official from the reserves game sitting right next to us, and uh, he's looking a little bit sore today. I saw a little bit of a limp walking into the studio. I think he might have left his crutches in the car. And what happened? Just a little bit slow. What, what uh, to tell us about that that ninety minutes on the on the pitch, Nova. It was it was a, a one all draw between East. It's actually Perth recorded and, as well in the reserve. Yeah, it was. It was good to go back and watch myself and, and seeing how fat I look. So that was always a great look, to be fair. Um, but in terms of the of the day itself, can I say? Just, actually, now that you've had a crack at me, how good is this bloke? Has not commentated on any Sunday league matches this year. He's, he knows the reserve players. And he told me he looks at... It's his job. Hairstyles. It's he looks job. at boot colours. He looks at... It's his job. Yeah, but... 
mate, that's just unbelievable. Tommy, so, you're good at your job. But yeah, am I sore? Um, a touch, yeah. But that was shoulders are a bit sore because of the first team game carrying Dave Averson all the way through. He is so rubbish. He gave a free kick, pointed the wrong way. I had the coach behind me saying, what was that for? I said, I don't know. He makes things up. And that was the only answer I could give. I think I think we need to go to bed after that. That was <laughs> poor Dave. I think we're done here, aren't we? Aren't on that note. All right, on that note, we're all done. Uh, I don't have any musical references, so I'm just going to leave you with be kind to each other. Just be nice to each other. Sound of music. So long, farewell. So long, farewell. It's coming home. Knockers? Is that what we, what we call it here? What do you call it when you... Not knockers. Nova's eyes lit up when I said knockers. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to put the knockers on the... <laughs>